And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 339 of This Old Marketing for a very hot Wednesday, August 31st, 2022. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who always makes the 53-player cut, Mr. Joe Polizzi. Well, first of all, is it really hot where you are now? Because you usually don't say very hot. O-M-G is the... Uh, that's how hot it is. It, that's what the, that's the technical term for how hot it is right now here in Los Angeles is OMG. It is just it has been a brutal August from a heat perspective. And, and just, you know, just I mean, and, and, and it does get this hot, right? I mean, it's not. It's, it's this not is like not. This is yeah, unheard. this is not an anomaly. It does get hot in well, Los Angeles. It's an anomaly for how long it's lasted. Right. It usually gets this hot, you know, and when I say this hot, you know, sorry, Europeans, I can't do the Celsius conversion in my head, but, um, you know, it's 103, 110 um, in, at the peak of the day. And that's 60 dry. degrees Celsius. <laughs> there you go. It's like I, 40. You don't even know that. It's like 40. You, you have, it's 40. Yeah. 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 I know these yeah. things. <laughs> it's that's it's hot. boiling frog. It it's boiling frog humidity. hot is what it is. Yeah, something like that. That's what my dad used to say. He used to say it's boiling frog hot. Oh, that's a good saying. I could yeah. I could picture your dad's. I could picture you saying that. Actually. No, you really can't. You you, you well, you can now cuz I said it. You just, but, yeah, but you just said it. So yeah. I can I'm picturing you saying it because you just said it. Are you uh we didn't really talk cuz we've been you know, we've been recording at these odd times. We really didn't talk yeah. last week yeah. about the NFL. So we didn't. We're pretty and much it starts at, yeah, next we're at, week. We're at the it deadline. It starts next week. How are you feeling about your Cowboys? I'm feeling very cautiously optimistic. Um, and I say that because we've had a spate of injuries um, to our team. And it's, you know, I mean, so, of course, the Cowboy bloggers, you know, the blogiverse, whatever you call it, you know those fans, and I use a, that word loosely because it's it's just awful reading the blogs. Um, are all doom and gloom? You know they're all predicting like you know eight and eight or you know or excuse me eight and nine and uh, you know why because of the defense. Just they're just they're just it's this it's the time of year for Cowboys fans to be gloom and doom. I mean it's just it's just it's like it, it's literally like a season you can you can predict it every single year the two weeks three weeks prior to the start of the season everybody thinks we're going to fall flat on our face and when we don't everybody goes oh it was such a surprising cinderella year that it'll never happen again you know and when we do everybody goes see i told you so it's just it's the worst it's being a cowboy fan sometimes is like you know you just go can't you just enjoy the game? Can't you just, you know, can't you just, enjoy, you know, do you have to have so much self-hatred? <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't understand Well, it. you know, be thankful but, that you only have two weeks because Browns fans, we have 50 weeks of well, negativity yeah. because we deserve it. I mean, we, we, we've lived since the Browns came back in 99. We, yeah. you know, we did have the playoff appearance two years ago, which was unbelievable. And then in 2007 and, that's or three, whatever it was, one time. So twice since ninety nine. 
Yeah. Well, I, I, I read the article this week that said that the Browns had considered uh, trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, we, we did be- discuss <laughs> that a couple before, weeks ago. Yes. Before the idea of Deshaun Watson came up, I, I always thought it was after. I thought it was. I thought it. I thought Deshaun, Deshaun had said yes, and then they were like, "Ah, you know, okay, great." You know, in other words, Garoppolo was a backup. And but as I understand it now, they were looking pretty hard at Garoppolo, and then just Deshaun. The idea of Deshaun came up, and they they sort of abandoned the idea of Garoppolo and went to Deshaun. Well, from which yeah makes it even worse. Uh, you well, know, the whole like, thing. The whole thing is is terrible. But I think that it was a big surprise that Deshaun, quote unquote chose the Browns like nobody thought that that was going to happen and then they just you know because they had a number of of their cards on the table and Garoppolo I think was one of them and then oh Deshaun's coming well, in think, and we're well, gonna I roll off Desha- the red carpet and we're gonna spend the most money of any football player ever <laughs> in the <laughs> history of football players even though this right he probably won't even play this year you know what what uh, it's funny because uh, I did talk about it, you know, in I think it was last episode, I talked about my wife's concern. Uh, you know, she put it on her LinkedIn post that, you know, we would be going to First Energy Stadium where the Browns play and we were a little apprehensive right. yep. as season ticket holders that we didn't know. You know, I got a lot of response from my, my JoePolizzi.com newsletter about that. And a listener of the show, uh, Joe Waters, sent me a note and he said, it's all about care. Everything's about character character is so important and i just that's that's how i feel right now regardless of yeah. who's sorry and who did what and whatever there's something about a football team taking a little bit of uh, of their energy to focus on the character of their football team that's right yep and yep in some you know it's called branding yeah, yeah it's called it, it's called brand yeah, I mean you've you've had some squeaky clean teams there at the Cowboys and some not so. And oh, absolutely. I mean, they used to be known. They used to be known for hiring the 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 ne'er do wells, right? I mean, Cowboys. You know, they they used to back in the day. Um, and this is, by the way, includes the going back to the seventies. You know, sort of North Dallas forty style. Um, you know, uh, which is a movie for you youngsters that you might not have seen. Great movie, by that the way. That was a silent um, silent picture, I believe. Yeah, it was a silent picture with that classic silent film star Nick Nolte. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but um, you know they 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 have been known to do that. But they but of late, and honestly, this is one of the things that used to used to be a huge checkbox in the uh, in the in the sort of the reason you love him column of Jason Garrett, the former head coach was he really instilled a culture of, they used to call it the RKG, right? Which is the right kind of guy, you know? So they, they really instilled this culture over the last 10 years, really of basically only drafting and only uh, to the, to sometimes the detriment, right? Sometimes they bring in these wonderfully nice guys and they keep them around too long because they're just not great players. Yeah, I mean, you could you could definitely. I mean, first of all, you have to get an excellent football player, and second of all, it's like, okay, well, are they the right kind of guy? Then I just don't. It, 
it just doesn't seem worth it. I think we're going to, we might actually go to one or two away games this year. I'm actually really interested to hear the response from the opposing crowds <laughs> right? because you should go to the Pittsburgh game. That's well, where you well so go. far there's a lot of, there, so far there's a lot of booze all the way around. And generally yeah, the imagine. Browns have been a beloved, uh, because everybody feels sorry for us. It's like, oh, right. the Browns, you know, right. they haven't won a championship in the Super Bowl era. Last time was 64. You know, we, yeah, let's see, you know, we feel bad for them, you know, like the bad news bears kind of thing. Well, now you don't right. feel bad That's for right. them anymore because nope. of this one move. Anyways, I digress. I have no emotional feelings about this, obviously. Doesn't yeah. bother me one, Clearly. one bit as we go into. You are not at all, you are not at all fantasy, uh, heard about it. Yeah, and, but I'm not, I don't think. The only fantasy Browns player that I'm going to draft, I, I think I'm going to get that. Uh, I think his, his name's Cade York. They drafted him uh, as a kicker. He is. I love this kid. Like he, he's from 72, 73 yards out. He wants it. He wants to give it a try. I love this kid. Okay, I'm all, all, right. I'm all in. Yeah. He's. I'm going to. I, that's. I'm going to get a York uh, jersey. That's and and I'm going to eat York peppermint patties at the game <laughs> while I watch York. Kick the ball. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah, exactly. I like that. All right. Well, we've got a good show. We've got a good show um, to to uh, to actually get but to. You here. don't know um, that. You're just saying it. You we think do you know do. that. I do know You're that. For sure. I know that this is going to be a a spicy hot take fest. But Johnny Carson um, used to say that all the time. For uh, folks that don't know, Johnny Carson used to host the Tonight Show. Um, Back in the silent picture era. Yeah. <laughs> he said, we got a great show for you tonight. Yeah. But you didn't, I mean, just setting expectations. You don't know. You could. Yeah. You could have had Mel it, Torme it, on who just, you know, lost his voice. Not such a great show. Mel Torme was the singer. Mel, people. Mel I, like, Tor- I mean, yeah. I'm just dating myself. <laughs> Boy, you're really going back now. Yeah. But you're Mel Torme was on the Simps- uh, Simpsons Mel Torme. episode. So in that case. People yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Robert what's, Goulet. What's, you could have Robert Goulet Robert on. Robert Goulet, yeah. yes. Robert Goulet was always a good guest. Yes. Oh, yes. So. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Don Rickles, you get Don Rickles well, Don on Rickles there. Don Rickles was one in a million. Don. I will say, I'll, I'll tell you this right now. This reminds me, um, not that we need to ramble on anymore, but um, I'm just finishing The Last Movie Stars, uh, which is Ethan Hawke's documentary about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. It's entrancing. I mean, if you're into that, if you're into old Hollywood and you're into sort of the late 60s, 70s acting era um, of of Hollywood and specifically, obviously, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, it is it's just a a delightful, delightful documentary. I'm I'm having so much enjoyment with it. I just couldn't. I have not heard about it. Is that on Netflix? What is that? Yes. Netflix. Yes. Okay. Six episodes, I think. I think there's six episodes. It's 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 easy watching, um, and it just follows their life. And they're just they're just very interesting people. They're just, I mean, you you learn so much about them as people, because um, it's all based on basically he the 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 context of it is is that Paul Newman was going to do this huge memoir um, and make a movie out of it. And he, so he recorded 
hundreds and thousands of hours of interviews with their friends, family, coworkers, people that, that, you know, movie stars, basically from the very beginning. And he had this incredible trove of, of recordings. And then they transcribed, they had them all transcribed too. Uh, and then there was a fire. And the rumor is, is that actually Paul Newman burned it all down, burned, burned all the recordings down. Um, oh Cause he gosh. didn't want it. He didn't want to make it anymore. So then the Newman Foundation basically went, came to the family, came to Ethan Hawke and said, would you do a, you know, would you do a documentary on this? And so what he's done is he's taken all the transcriptions and he has other celebrities. So like George Clooney reads Paul Newman, um, Laura Linney is reading uh, Joanne Woodward and so on and so forth. And he's got this, you know, sort of A-list level of, of Hollywood celebrities doing the readings of the as he plays sort of movies in the background and footage and all it's just it's wonderful it's really really wonderful i'll have to i'll have to give it a try now that i've finished uh train wreck the did you watch it did you watch the train wreck documentary on woodstock 99 have you seen this no i have not yet i have not yet we've been trying to finish this thing and then but yes it is on my list okay so anyways it's three episodes it's basically two hour documentary cut into three episodes jk uh you know our good friend the creative director uh, said I should watch it. I watched it, and I'm still disturbed by it about what okay. happened during Woodstock. I definitely 99. want to watch it then. Oh my goodness! It, if uh, just I think it was episode two where Fred Durst gets on stage with Limp Bizkit, and there's 250,000 crazy people in the audience, and you know that he's got them in the palm of his hand. You can see it in his eye. He's like, "I am going to just unleash chaos on the," and he does. It's just oh my god! It's so crazy. You would you would really appreciate that because I mean I remember it, but I don't remember how bad it was. What happened yeah. there? So, anyways, yeah. it's document. Yeah, it'll be documentary Friday for both of us. All so, right, there you go. There you go. There you go. Well, uh, in terms of the good show that we can't promise, uh, we have uh, let's let's just line it up yeah. so that you so that you know what to expect and you can make your own judgment about whether it was a good show or not. We're going to talk about uh, a little bit about Truth Social and they may be in trouble. Um, they may be in financial trouble. They may their SPAC is getting whacked um, and all kinds of things that is uh, hampering the new social network that's out there. We'll also talk about Time Magazine and they've made their first big acquisition since being acquired by Mark Benioff and they have acquired an agency and site building tool. That's a really interesting trend there. Um, we'll talk a little bit about artificial intelligence and content creation. Uh, I've just written a white paper on that, and there's some articles that we'll certainly link to that have been talking about the coming avalanche of AI and content creation. And then we'll talk about NFTs and going boom. Um, OpenSea is a ghost town, says one article. Let's talk a little bit about where the status of NFTs are at the latter half of 2022 uh, twenty and, and into 2023, I should say. Um, and then if we get time, we'll talk a little bit about Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. If not, we'll just link to it in the show notes. I'm going to have some commentary uh, on the comms job, the, 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 the sort of trends happening in the communications department. Uh, and uh, you're going to talk about the NFT marketplace situation. That's like exactly. A, a new development there. It is. Some breaking kind. development. That's what we're good for. Breaking news. That's three weeks there late. We go. But we have it. We're, bra- <laughs> we're breaking we have news it here. three weeks late. <laughs> right. This is where it's that, that great, uh, was that that, uh, uh, it was was it John Stewart? It was on John Stewart when he had the editor of the New York Times on in the early days, 
And he said, ah, you're the guy who brings me yesterday's news. Oh, jeez. <laughs> what a great show that All was. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. When, when he first came out, he that. was on fire. Okay. I'm ready. Okay, let's, let's go. Uh, we are going to talk and open up our open up the show with uh, an article that comes to us courtesy of Forbes. Um, although there are many of the mainstream media covering this, <laughs> no doubt with some sense of Schadenfreude. Uh, Truth Social spacked down nine percent as Trump denies reports of financial trouble. Uh, basically, the article opens up saying shares of Digital World Acquisition Corp. Dwack, <laughs> as it is it known. <laughs> Dwack. Dwack. Uh, Donald Dwack. Uh, the, <laughs> that's good, right? There should be a duck somewhere. Anyway, the blank check company with plans to take former President Donald Trump's media site, Truth Social, fell 9% on Monday morning after Trump denied reports the company is struggling financially and owes more than $1 million in unpaid fees to a conservative vendor. Uh, in a post on Truth Social Saturday, Trump claimed the fake news media is devastated by how well Truth is doing. So they are working overtime to criticize and demean it after several outlets reported that the company is facing financial woes, including owning one of its vendors, RightForge, a company that provides internet hosting services for conservative causes, $1.6 million in backdated payments. Dwack uh, cautioned last week that the FBI's raid of Trump's Mar-a-Lago homes if the former president becomes less popular or has further controversies might actually affect the value of the stock. <laughs> I just find that whole sentence very funny. Um, you know, basically, if our founder gets arrested or in some other way becomes unpopular, ah, our stock might take it a might, hit. Yeah, they, um, that's definitely that is, in the prospectus. That's that's sure. best. Yeah. That, I love that as a prospectus sentence. Uh, and Anyway, uh, they also, by the way, uh, will link to this uh, news in the show notes, lost their trademark. Uh, they cannot have the trademark on Truth Social, says the PTO, uh, because basically it may cause confusions with other media companies that have the name Truth in it. So they are not going to get the Truth part of the trademark for their Truth Social name. And... We'll also link to one other thing, which is another trouble they're having, which is uh, Truth Social has just been, this is literally breaking yesterday, uh, barred from Google Play Store because of content moderation issues, uh, it said. That story says basically content moderation concerns are holding up the approval of former President Truth's social app on Android devices, a Google spokesperson said on Tuesday. CEO Devin Nunes claimed last week that the Android version of the app was ready and waiting on Google's approval, uh, but... Uh, uh, Google says, mm, no, you can't have it just yet. So it seems there's a lot of trouble in uh, Truthland. What do you think? <laughs> so many thoughts. So many thoughts. Okay. Yeah. So, so first many of all, if you if you consider the Truth launch to be like other social media platforms, a la Facebook, Instagram, Snap, they had a very long runway of losing lots of money. The $6.5 million, and I don't want people to think that I'm making fun that $6.5 million is, isn't a lot of money because it is a lot of money. But for a launch like this, it's not. No, it's a rounding it's error. So let's let's just, if $6.5 million is a lot of money, that's a problem. If they're running out of money to pay for things because they don't have that kind of money, that's a big problem. Um, so yeah. I, I don't know what they were expecting. They launched this thing a year ago. It wasn't even a year ago. Basically, if they're having cash flow issues, that's a big deal. Because there was no way they had any kind of revenue plan 
Of course. Before. Yeah, there, there was no planned revenue for the first you know few months or even years, years that this was going to be up. Absolutely. They're so, just now testing out. I mean, we covered it on the last episode. They're just now testing out that they do have some revenue-generating ideas, but they don't have a big enough audience to go at after some of these larger brands. Okay, so that said, not paying the bills. First of all, uh, so internet hosting services at $1.6 million, man, they, they, they're getting the, the platinum package. Of <laughs> oh, for sure. Holy moly. Yeah. RightForge uh, is charging the absolute premium, I'm under the assumption, for, for hosting for that. But, I mean, for what everyone, and this is not a political statement about Donald Trump, he has been known not to pay his bills. It, there's, right. there's been many, many instances. I know one person personally who actually had services uh, for Trump's organization back 20 years ago and never got paid. So it's just a thing. That, that's fine. Now, I think the only thing that's going to help truth, well, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? We really do need more raids. Like, we really need more things to happen to Trump because every time something happens to Donald Trump, True Social goes crazy. But at the same time, then your sponsorship is more limited than ever before because if you're a bigger brand, you don't know if you want to take the risk by sponsoring the platform. So That's right. Yeah, which is going to be the ongoing problem. It's it's not that they can't find the my pillows of the world to sponsor Truth. They absolutely can. But it's a what is it? Maybe ten percent of companies out there would absolutely think about doing this. And and as I said before, if you are a content creator and you cater to a certain audience, or maybe you don't, maybe you cater to the opposite audi- audience. There is a if you think that. Truth might stick around for a while, which we don't know. There, I think there is an opportunity to get a larger voice because you are a bigger fish in a smaller pond. So yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's the exactly it, right? It's it's a it's a situation where you know, and you've said this many times before, you know, with regard to you know apps and businesses like Clubhouse or or others, is that if you're okay being a small business then there's absolutely a business there. Sure. Right? But the problem with that, and I think it's expressed in what you just said, is the tension is that it, it Truth Social can't be. It has to, it has to rival Twitter uh, and others, you know, in terms of, in order to maintain the, even just the ego level of its main user and an owner, right? I mean, it can't be a small fringe thing it has to be big and powerful because otherwise it doesn't have the influence that he needs it to have in order to you know make it suit his it purposes. needs to be the size of a of a fox news type audience yes that's exactly right, right. That's which exactly by the way is it, the yeah it's the number one news you know broadcast um and so you know that in and of itself means that there's a tension there for it to grow quickly and to grow big which means it's also then hampered by the fact that it has to build the infrastructure in order to support that because you can't just, you know, have it fail if it does succeed. But at the same time, so you have to pay the premium prices to get, you know, spend $100,000 a month on hosting in order to build the infrastructure to support that kind of user base, but you just don't have it there. So it ends up looking a little bit like a ghost town and you're way overpaying, I'm sure, for hosting services and technology services and for security services and for all the things that you need to do to make sure it's buttoned down to become a mainstream player. But 
so it's got all the costs of a mainstream player with none of the benefits. Well, they can't and, be a mainstream player with this Google announcement. Like, if 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 Truth Social cannot have their ad in Google, this is it's crazy. They can't. Yeah, they, you oh, can't yeah. They, build they, a business yeah. off of that. And this is, by the way, the problem. With a lot of social media right now. And by the way, Android is way more important for them than Apple. Probably. But yeah. it, it, the, the, the power that Apple and Google is wielding right now is, I will say it in the best way I can, unfortunate. And it was really unfortunate for Truth and Donald Trump, but it's unfortunate for every business out there, I think, where you have two companies that wield this kind of power when you're trying to build an app. And it's like, okay, well... Who owns the rails? Rails are owned by two companies, folks. Yeah. Unless you want to right. consider Blackberry's 1%. Nope. Google and Apple. And if if they don't approve, if Google doesn't approve uh, True Social app, forget it's done. And they can do whatever they want because they're a private company. Yeah. And they can. That's right. So. That's right. And, you know, and that's the, and that brings us back to the, the whole SPAC thing, which is, you know, the, the the one thing that Dwack has not done, you know, they sort of put all their eggs in the basket of truth, right? You know, they didn't, the, you know, those blank check corporations are supposed to, you know, make several acquisitions and, and bring those public, you know, those companies along. And they have been so focused on getting truth out the door and up and running, again, with the, you know, with the prediction of it being a you know, a, a mainstream player that the, any news that says that it won't be a mainstream player. And this is why you see those sort of, you know, <laughs> unfortunate, but very funny, um, you know, prospectus statements basically saying, Hey, if the one guy on our one, you know, is like if our founder is, you know, doesn't have great press, then the stock might take a hit. Well, the stock's going to take a hit because there's nothing else to bolster it, right? There's no other business there to, to help it out. So, Dwack is going under. I mean, there's just, there, you know, that that's that's going to zero. It's, it, you know, it, it it has to, I think. And I think it doesn't bode well for Truth Social more broadly because unless, you know, some major investor comes in, you know, it, the, the, the forward-looking news for Trump and uh, uh, does not look good at the moment. Um, and so it, it doesn't seem like Truth Social is going to get any good news in the near term, and certainly, I, I can't see it getting more financing. Um, you know, uh, it just it it just seems like it's a it's a short it's going to be a short road. Let's put it that way. I, think. I can't believe that they didn't prepare for million, many more millions of dollars. And also, how many episodes did we cover last year with SPAC in the title? I mean, isn't that has to be the one of the biggest losers of twenty twenty two from twenty one? For sure. Was the SPAC itself because, I mean, yeah. if you looked at it, and I, I just saw it in a passing article, but the performance of SPACs versus like any other group of stocks, and they were, they're all the worst. They're terrible. Nothing's oh, working. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Well, they, you know, they got to be a fad at the end of 2021 when the stock market was on a tear. And then in 2022, all of a sudden the bills came due and everybody went, Oh yeah, there's not that many great companies to acquire to bring public, you know, and, and the companies that were, you know, and the companies that were looking to get brought public, it was totally a buyer's market, right? They were all like, you know, 
So these so these SPACs went out with just awful companies um, that weren't ready for primetime at all. And so the SPACs that did go, you know, and de-SPAC'd basically, those companies are like taking terrible, terrible hits because they just, you know, they've they've had, you know, severe, you know, the tech whole tech sector took a, you know, whatever, 60, 70, 80% downturn in some cases. It's just, you know, it cleaned, it cleaned out the pipes, as it were. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. The Dwack SPAC. Who, why, didn't they think about it and just say, look, let's not be Dwack. Let's just be something else instead of if somebody Dwack. if nobody there made the Donald Dwack joke, I I'm yeah, sure that, that they I'm sure somebody has, but it's I I've, I did not realize it until you kept saying Dwack in this episode the, of the whole Donald <laughs> Dwack thing. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it it fits the it fits the brand right. Digital World Acquisition Corporation. Digital World brought to you by Skynet. You know. <laughs> All right, let's. That took a while to sink in. Yeah. All right, let's move along here to our next story, which is uh, speaking of acquisitions and those kinds of things. This is this is a fascinating story to me. This is also breaking this week. Uh, Time Magazine, and by the way, this comes to us courtesy of Axios, makes their first acquisition since selling uh, to Meredith. Um, basically, Time has bought Brandcast, a company that licenses software for easy-to-build marketing websites. Times Editor-in-Chief CEO Edward Felsenthal told Axios why it matters because the deal marks Times' first acquisition since Mark and Lynn Benioff bought the publication back in 2018. With the purchase, which closed earlier this month, all of Brandcast's 14 employees, so it's not a big company, folks, moved over to Time as part of a new division called Time Sites, which replaced the Brandcast name. Time Sites is led by Brandcast CEO Ashok Santhanam, uh, who joined uh, Time's executive team as president of Time Sites. Santhanam reports to Ian Horifus, president and chief <laughs> operating officer of Time and Time Studios. Last, Clearly, I'm sorry, these names, Ian. Yeah, yeah. You just go um, by Ian O. Yeah, instead of Ian Orifice. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, Ian. Okay. Oh dear. It so could be Orifice. They just write themselves. It could be Orifice. It might not. It be could orifice, be Orifice, but I I read Orifice. I read Orifice. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. He said Orifice. I'm, I'm dopey. <laughs> anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Beavis and Butthead. All right. When we want to make this technology available to more customers than we do today, we believe that association with a brand like Time can only be helpful. Uh, Santhanam said, uh, asked when asked by the company, chose to sell instead of raising more money to stay independent. So anyway, the, the story goes on to talk about the investment uh, from Benioff and some of the other investments they've made uh, and that how time has been uh, expanding its product offering since the Benioffs bought it uh, four years ago. I think this is big news, bigger news than is actually getting any coverage, I think, because to me, this says, especially for marketers out there, because this this to me is Times uh, foray into becoming uh, a New York Times sort of brand, T brand studios, uh, building out marketing services, content services uh, for you know against the Time brand, and I think it's a really smart move. Um, I'm not familiar with the brand, you know, the the Brandcast platform. I'm assuming it's a bit like a uh, Wix or or those kinds of things. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but uh, but but what I do know is is that I think this is 
really a very smart move to get them into some of the content and services business that uh, you know that we've seen other publishers get into, and it fits Mark's new. I mean, Benioff has been focused on content, sure, uh, clearly for a number of years. He has the content bug has bitten him, and it is now you can see it in this acquisition. So, what do you think? Well, there, there's two things, and we've covered a lot of them. One is you take a media company, media site, media brand like Time, and then you go ahead and buy up or launch product and service companies within that. So this is obviously that scenario. And the other one we've covered many times is you're a product and service company and you go ahead and buy an audience. And then you take your products and services and show them to that audience and you grow that way, which is what, let's say, Narrow Electronics did with their purchase of 50 plus um, electronics engineering brands out there. So I mean, I don't know. It's I'd have to look at I, when I saw time pieces and times NFT division, time pieces, the time passages would be better. Time passages <laughs> be better. So, we'll have to talk to Mr. Orifice about that name, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, that's a very tough business to get into. So they must have some kind of hook if they're offering custom content services to brands through this time pieces portal or time what's it called time 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 sites, sites. time sites time time sites yes time sites portal so but but anyways well, the idea outside of the product or the service the idea is sound and i'm under the assumption that this is just one of many bolt-on acquisitions and by the way lots of the we talk about the bigger acquisitions all the time and they get all the press but these small ones are the ones that are happening right now that you don't hear about 14 people, 25 people, 50 people, somebody right. doing one, two, three million dollars in revenue. They, they've figured something out. They just need uh, the audience or the customer database, and boom, you plug and play, and off we go. So. Uh, you know, it, it is just, it, it's another data point in the evolution of, uh, you know, the, the news business, the publishing business, because... So if you look at T-Brand Studios, they're, they're, the estimated revenue on T-Brand right now is just under $40 million a year. That's meaningful revenue, sure. right? It's 20% of their digital, digital revenue is, is T-Brand Studios services. Look at Washington Post. <clears throat> Washington Post sells now their ARC XP web content management system, um, Basically, a content management system technology that none of you have ever heard of, and I certainly hadn't heard of. But and I'm in the business, and you know, and but they've now they're they're de- delivering tens of millions of dollars. They are one of the larger you know in the marketplace web content management solutions. I mean, look, you know, Adobe and Sitecore, you know, are 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 way up there in terms of you know in terms of market share. But in terms of web content management solutions, all of the niche players, ArcXP from the Washington Post is right in there. And so you have these content businesses, these media companies beginning to diversify into services, software, and other types of products, um, which, you know, I mean, not to pat ourselves on the back, but we've talked about for years, you know, that the, you know, that you, you go, oh, sure, that makes sense, right? That makes sense that, you know, New York Times launched a services agency. It makes sense 
maybe, that the Washington Post launches a CMS system product. It makes sense that Time launches a custom publishing slash services slash consulting business. But when you flip that switch and you go the other way around, all of a sudden it seems weird, right? It seems weird when the manufacturing company launches a media division like Aero Electronics does, or it seems weird when the software company launches a media division that actually is supposed to make money and actually draw you know revenue to the bottom line for some reason we're we're accustomed to media companies diversifying revenue streams but it's really weird when we see product and service brands do the same thing it's just you know but i think we're starting to see yeah. that as as you say very small things happening where 10 and 14 people companies are getting acquired so it, it's it, it's it, where it seems to be happening is at the really small stage and the sort of tectonic you know giant you know microsoft acquires linkedin kind of stage but that middle area where that would draw the bigger news articles doesn't seem to be happening well I'm, I'm, it's funny we i'm going to talk about this in my content marketing world keynote coming up and i was lucky enough to be brought into this business into traditional business to business publishing and i was taught by all my mentors that when you look to grow during a year and you have your strategic plan, you're growing two ways. You're growing organically and you're growing toward uh, to acquisition. You're absolutely looking yep. to both. Yep. But when you get in, you and I have worked with so many marketers before, a chief marketing officer, a VP of sales and marketing is thinking all organic. They don't think about, well, now they're starting to, we're talking about this, but they never added that acquisition opportunity, which is crazy to me. Like if you're in the content business, there are always very good opportunities to acquire. You have somebody that's been doing the 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 digit the very difficult work of building something, put a couple years of sweat, equity, whatever behind it, and now they built something and they're ready to offload it. Well, are you just going to let media companies take every one of those opportunities when you as a brand might be a perfect fit for you? So now I think they're waking up to that because they're seeing so many good examples. I mean, Aero Electronics, Salesforce has been doing it. HubSpot's been doing it. And now you have enough where you're the VP of marketing uh, or, or content marketing director, and you can go in to a chief financial officer and say, hey, look at all these examples. And here's an opportunity for us. Can we, do we have some M&A budget that you could actually give to marketing instead of just keeping it for the enterprise itself? Maybe. So yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. I think that is the you know, it's the future of where we all want to go. I, I had this conversation with a uh, with a CMO of a company in South America that is looking to bring their brand into the U.S. and as they're as they're thinking, it's a technology company, big technology company in in Brazil, um, but not not even a little bit known here. Uh, in the US. And they started talking about this idea like, hey, we should, you know, we're going to start hiring, we're going to build a content team, we're going to open an office in, you know, in San Francisco somewhere. And, and you know, that's where we're going to land and expand our footprint in the US. And I said, why, why don't you just buy a media company instead of like, really, you know, stretching yourself out? And, and I said, why not find a great, you know, media company that matches your topic and just buy it? Instead of, you know, which gives you instant office, instant team and instant credibility and instant presence in the media space here and start using that as your as your angle of trajectory. And they were like, wow, that's 
that's a really interesting idea because it it's so much it's just like a you know it's like it's like presence in a box right and so it, it's I, I, but here we are yeah. in 2022 and they're still thinking it that's a novel idea right that's and right literally you and i started talking about this in what probably 11 yes 11 or 12 we were like oh my god we aren't you have to, marketers acquisition is part of your job as a content strategist you have to understand this there's a business aspect of this that you're missing out on i don't I don't get it. I mean, obviously, we're, it's just, it's happening. It's just moving at such a slow pace. Yeah. Which, it's whatever. Yeah. It's, it's it. First movers are, are a big, <laughs> big opportunity. I mean, it's, I mean, if you look at a company like HubSpot, they've been in Salesforce. They are, they are going to be the big unstoppable tech companies in a lot of cases because they're building these huge media networks. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it earlier, right? If your competition isn't doing it. Yeah. If your, if your competition isn't doing it all the, you know, all the easier for them. Yeah. So absolutely. Well, speaking of first movers, um, this is a really interesting segue into our next story, which comes to us courtesy of uh, media post, but then the media insider commentary. And it's talking about artificial intelligence, which we talked a little bit about a couple of episodes ago, uh, but not, didn't get too deep into it. Um, AI and content creation, the coming content avalanche uh, is the headline of the article. And it opens up by saying, if you're like me, the growing drip, drip, drip of the content faucet is pushing you to the edge. Posts, pings, notifications, alerts, the sheer volume of content demanding your attention. Choose at the edge of your consciousness with a grinding urgency. He, I, I, that author is really proud of that paragraph. I, I, I know they're like, oh, they just looked at it and went, that's the perfect chef's kiss well, Steve, paragraph. Stephen right? Rosenbaum is the author, and I know Stephen, and he, yes, he's very proud of this. Yeah. I totally agree. <laughs> there <laughs> totally you go. Agree with that. All right. Yeah. Tech journalist Charles Arthur makes a compelling argument that future content is at a tipping point, uh, says the author. Arthur is the author of Substack blog Social Warning, Social Warming rather, uh, about social networks' effect on society. The approaching tsunami of addictive AI-created content will overwhelm us, warns Arthur. The tsunami he points to is the creation of what academics call synthetic media, media that is created entirely by artificial intelligence. I've been keeping a close eye as these content creation robots have moved from the labs to publicly accessible programs. Then he goes on to mention things like Dolly 2, GPT-3, uh, and all those kinds of things that are out there in engines. Um, I've just spent the last eight weeks doing like going down the rabbit hole, deep dive into this for a white paper that I wrote and just literally finished um, this week. So I definitely have a take on this, but, but uh, what are your initial thoughts? <laughs> you can't set me up like that. I am now an expert on this topic. I'm definitely Joel, not an expert on this topic. see if you have a small take, yes. Yes. <laughs> a small opinion on this. All that I would say is that we're getting to the point on this where if you're a content business of any size, you need one or two people to be piloting some of these things to see where it makes sense for your business to not do some things that are unnecessary anymore. But the truth is, I think you're, I mean, I want to hear what you're going to say. I'm under the assumption that this is going to be all out chaos in three or four years of automatically driven content from multiple uh, from from audio to video to textual and 
we're already we already know it can be done and we're we're scared at what it is now and in a few years it's going to get really scary is that right? Uh, is that the report? What's the report? The, uh, What's your report? I, say? I don't think it's that scary. I, I, I really don't. Um, here's here, And here's why I say that, because what I am seeing out there uh, in the very quickly evolving, right, um, you know, uh, ecosystem that is this. So let's just talk about text content creation for, for a moment. And then, you know, there's certainly, you know, images and audio and video and all kinds of things. But Broadly speaking, when I see the AI stuff, it, it is it, it is literally disrupting the creative process in the same way that every other technology has disrupted the creative process before it. Right? I remember back, you know, I, I remember back in the day in the 1990s when I was actually a professional musician, making money from playing music, and I'm a keyboard player. I can remember the uproar, the absolute uproar that sampling caused, right? Because what would happen is, is like, you know, you could, you you're like, oh, you really like that sound of Phil Collins in the air tonight? Well, now you can buy a plugin that goes right into your computer and it's a sample, you know, of the Hugh Padham sound, who was the engineer on In the Air Tonight. And you can get that great drum sound that, you know, from the electronic sound to the, you know, brilliant snare and tom sound that he got and basically plug it into your keyboard and now all of a sudden you have the talent and you know the ability to reproduce you know phil collins's great sound and or digital photography before that or photoshop in the designer or word you know before that what tends to happen in the creative process is that when a new technology comes around there's fear and the fear is generated because of two reasons. One is the fear is, ah, it's going to replace me. In other words, I'm going to get replaced as a drummer. I'm going to get replaced as a musician. I'm going to get replaced as a designer. I'm going to get replaced as a writer. Or two, it's going to start to enable hacks. In other words, it's going to enable the the hack person to be more te- you know, to earn more business or earn more screen time or earn more audience than they deserve because they haven't put in the time. And neither of those things in any technology that has ever proceeded has ended up being true. And so the, the, the interesting thing to me is, is that just as digital photography changed the way and the process by which photographers did their art, just the same way that Photoshop changed the way that painters paint, drawers draw, architects architect, all those kinds of things, and, you know, and photographers process images, this is going to be the same way. The, the content creation is going to be exactly the same thing when it comes to AI. Having used it, I will tell you, AI is awful at creating original content. It's just not good. You know, it's certainly horrible at research. It just, you know, I mean, I, I, I was doing things like, you know, and the author actually makes a ref, did, did the same experiment I did, which is, you know, write my bio. You know, write the bio of Robert Rose. It was awful. It did awful, awful at that. You know, it made up stuff. It changed the name of our book. You know, it did all sorts of things that wasn't true. Then I had it tell me a joke, you know, and it was told an awful joke, which I'll come back to in just a moment. But the 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 critical element to me is, is that just like artists, creators, writers got good at things like Word, because let's not forget that basically the 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 you know the replacement of word when you got good at word you know microsoft word it wasn't because it made you a better writer or it made you a better typist 
what it did was it forced you and enabled you as a writer to get into the typesetting and layout business. That's what getting good at, you know, when you put, I have word experience on my resume back in 1995, you know, you weren't saying I'm a great writer. You were saying, I know how to use word because I know that typesetting and layout is part of a writer's job now. And so those things will change. And so I can see people getting really good at using AI to write better pieces, but I don't see AI writing better stories. I just don't. I don't see that. I, I can't see that as a, it, it's not, it doesn't have great emotion. It's not good at wisdom. It's not good at pulling original ideas out of thin air. You know, there was a wonderful article that our friend JK uh, Kalinowski sent around that talked, you know, she said, she said, listen, when AI, you know, the last creative brief that I got for writing a, a new, you know, the copy for a new website, the creative brief was basically, show me all the things that are, uh, you know, the, a world of possibilities. That was the creative brief. Now you give that to an AI and AI is not going to write you great web copy for that company. But if you use AI as an extension of your talent, as, as an extension of your ability, can it write great SEO meta content? Can it write the abstract of your webinar? Can it write the, you know, can it help you write the first introductory paragraph of the blog post that you're having a, you know, struggle writing? Can it assemble content? Yeah, absolutely it can. And so I actually don't see other than the descriptions, you know, like, hey, what happened at this football game? Or what's the weather going to be like? Or, you know, anything where all we need is plot, you know, basically all we need is a listing of a, a, a logical listing of what happened. We're going to see so much AI for that, right? You know, a help document, uh, you know, a, a way to, you know, see what, who won the football game last night that nobody wants to cover and a reporter can't cover. All those kinds of things, absolutely a tsunami of content is coming. A tsunami of new screenplays and, and, and original novels? No, I don't believe that's true. I agree with you that we will experience most of AI as parts of the technology that we use and we will all become better content creators, I think for it, but I disagree with you that I think that right now uh, we don't have the samples yet. We, the, the technology isn't quite there for, I guess it's hard to say original thinking because most of, because it's based on stuff that's already done and that's how it learns so can you make something original from things that have already happened? Of course. I believe you can. You it's can, called of recombination. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you can, you can mash things together. Like, that's what the funky thing. That's in, what musicals, I mean, music, the whole music industry Well, that's do, right. That's sampling Phil Collins' drums and me making a new song out of it, right? But it doesn't make me any more of a talented songwriter to be able to do that. And similarly, you know, if I go in and I tell Dolly too, hey, show me, you know, show me monkeys in space playing drums, you know, while one plays poker in the corner, Dolly 2 will very, very, you know, easily create a rendition of that. That's a parlor trick. That's, that's just a parlor trick because the interest, you know, the, 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 the execution of that thing is only as good as the artist makes it. And, you know, and so the, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, there will be art created by AI that will, you know, will seemingly at its surface be able to be shown, you know what I mean? And so you have to ask yourself, is the person who puts the inquiry into the AI to get the app, you know, the, the, the image out, are they an artist? I would argue, yes, they are. 
But will they be successful artists? That will be, you know, that will be up to humans to decide. And so it's easy to put stuff together, to assemble things. What's hard is to put things together in such an original way that it actually evokes value from the person consuming it. So did you, did you, you, you read the story and I can't remember the book. I'll have to find it, but it was, it's about the composer, the computer programmer that put all these, um, classical, uh, whatever classical renditions from the best of the best into the database and then had the computer say make me a combination of whatever it was Bach Tchaikovsky yep. whatever it was that's already there yeah and absolutely yes and then the I think it was the Indiana Conservatory uh played it and the the audience was like oh my god it's unbelievable and then they found out that it was done by a computer and everybody was upset about that's it. right uh, but that happened you know, 10 years ago, whatever it was, a yeah. long, long time ago. But we, I, I don't think we can, I, all I know is something is there, it's going to be amazing and impactful and it will seem original and we are going to be very conflicted by it. But well, that's the thing. I think I, it's. I, I think we just don't know what it's going to be. But I absolutely think because I was having a conversation. I remember with the with Claire, the editor of Chief Content Officer Magazine. We were talking about it when New York Times came out with that story and said, "Okay, can we're going to ask all these people in our audience whether they can tell if this was rendered by a computer or whether it was done by an editor?" And nobody could tell the difference in headlines and descriptions. Right. And you're right. And it was. We're, and, we were already there. Right. But here's the thing. The article in question was simply, and I remember this, the article in question was basically a recap of what happened. It was a recap of something that happened. Like, you know, it was plot. It was not an original idea, right? It was not, it was not evoking some level of emotion. It was a newspaper story about something that happened. And I think there, you're definitely going to see a role for AI to play. You know, so... Well, already, already playing it, but already, I, already playing it. Mm, I agreed, and, and I, I, I think, but but the, here's the but thing. Here, I want to like, make this point, which is that will there be externalities? Will there be unintended consequences? Of course, absolutely. There have been unintended consequences from digital photography. There have been unintended consequences from Photoshop. There have been, you know, how many times do we look at Photoshop now and go, oh, it's photoshopped, right? Oh, okay, yeah, shopped. You know, I mean, shopped is a whole is a verb now. Right. Because we look at models, you know, the retouching of models, pictures on the covers of magazines. And we look at all of the things that technology has enabled as part of the creative process. Some of it has been good for culture and life. And some of it have been externalities or misuse or disuse of the technology for unintended or sometimes in cases, you know, intended uh, bad things. We're going to see the same thing with deep fakes, right? With deep fakes becoming, yes. you know, a a a misused technology in some cases and in some cases a, a great use of technology the 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 sort of punchline to all of it is it's here it's not you know what i mean it's it's happening you know as clayton christensen said you know you may hate gravity but gravity doesn't care you know so the the question is now not if we should allow it to happen it the question is how are we going to manage it as content creators and as skilled practitioners to make the most out of the technology and do it in the right way. I cannot wait until you read the story from the computer that that just is so emotional 
and you're like, I can't believe that a computer <laughs> right, made did me cry. This. I can't believe a computer yep. made me cry. It's gonna, it's gonna, there was a movie about this. Yeah. yeah. It's gonna happen. That maybe, maybe in years, yeah. but I will tell you, having played with all of the engines, you know, I, I'm, you know, some of it is good and some of it is really just not. I mean, here, here's, here, here's, 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 here's a funny story. So I had the AI, I literally said to the, this is GPT 3, the engine, I said, tell me a joke about marketers and the AI, this was the joke that literally word for word quote that the, that the AI came back with two marketers walk into a bar and get drunk. That's the joke. And so brilliant. Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I, it had to, I sat with that for like a day and I came back to it and I saw it in my, you know, cause I copied and pasted it and put it in my notes and I sat there and looked at it and I went, that might actually be a brilliant joke. Like it's like it's literally the kind of thing where you you look at it. If it were the caption of a New Yorker cartoon, you'd go, "Huh, uh, that might just be subtle enough to be genius." So it's is there a deeper? Yeah, yeah is there it's, something? It, deeper so it's either there? brilliant, it's either genius, or it's the dumbest joke you've ever heard in your life. Which that's fine line. It's a, that's it's, a fine. It's a very line. it's a very interesting time. Anyway, very interesting times indeed. All right. Well, uh, rants and raves. Yes. I think. I, yeah. I'm I sorry. We went off on a, we went off on that a bit, which was which was totally fun um, to talk about AI there. Uh, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about rants and raves, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like we've made the 53 player cut um, or not made the. By the way, the 53 player cut for you guys happened this week for all NFL teams. Basically, had to get down to cut from 80 or 90 players to 53, which is the final number that they can have on their roster that's the that's the uh the inside baseball as it the, were for everyone was wondering i'm sure they were all, all of three people yeah, all of three people were like what what does that even have to do with anything yeah. do you want to go first or shall i go first yeah i'm i'm happy to go okay. first uh i just thought that this was interesting this just came out today this is from coindesk and it says uh, an nft marketplace is letting buyers avoid royalty payments and creators aren't pleased and i just think this is very interesting because one of the big uh, pros about launching a social well not a social token but an nft non-fungible token project is the fact that when you choose a secondary marketplace like an open sea and it's resold the you can work through the marketplace and the original creator of that nft gets a percentage so i'll give mm. you an example so we have yeah. our never-ending tickets nft program that we have so you can get a lifetime ticket to creator economy expo and when the, it's been so a couple of these has been, have been sold to another buyer on OpenSea, that's our secondary marketplace and we have a five percent royalty in there so whenever they're sold we as the creator of that the tilt, we get our 5% on that. So it's great. We love it when it's sold because we get a little royalty. And this happens with all the creators. And this is a really good way for artists, if you will, and other creators to always get paid when it changes hands. And that, that was never a thing before. So like, for example, when you buy a piece of art, in the like a piece of real physical art, the artists only get pays one paid one time, and then it's sold and sold and sold and sold. They never get a dime after that. Well, NFTs seem to have solved that. Well, there is a new marketplace, or not new, but newer marketplace called X2Y2, and they have been the most popular NFT marketplace by volume over the last week. I guess more popular than OpenSea, which is kind of crazy. 
But what they're doing is they're, I didn't realize that it's not in the heart. It's not in the smart contract where these things are set. It's set in the secondary marketplace. What a creator gets paid when it changes hands from a new buyer uh, um, uh, new to a new seller. I'm sorry, from the seller to the buyer. And they are making it optional whether or not the buyer wants to pay the royalty rates. So for, you know, they say, for example, only two mutant ape yacht club buyers out of 14 recently have chosen to pay the royalty fees back to Yuga Labs, who are the creator of this project. So I don't know what's going to happen with this, Robert. I just wanted to make sure our audience knows that this is going on. This is a concern. I think it'll happen where you'll have some creators that'll say, I don't want to go to that marketplace or I do or whatever. And they might want to create their own marketplaces, but this is absolutely a thing. And I I understand where it's coming from because there are some NFT projects that were charging very hefty royalty fees that make some of the fees to doing these things kind of untenable. But but I think it'll get back in place. I think a 5% is very reasonable to pay for these types of things. And I think you should reward the original creator but now it seems you can bypass that. So you're going to want to create, I guess, a community of super fans that wants to pay you the royalty. Uh, kind of like when you're using a credit card with a nonprofit and you can pay the credit card fees if you choose to, which is, which is out with most uh, programs out there. So anyways, this is a thing. I don't think it's necessarily a good thing because I want to pay these creators, but we're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. I th- well, it's an interesting it's an interesting challenge. You know, it's that secondary market, right? You know, it's that uh, you know which has the, the NFT enables the you know sort of uh, streamlined, if you will, or easily enforceable secondary market for things like your your you know your your never ending ticket is a great example of that, right? Where you know somebody may have come to the event with their never ending ticket. And they go, you know, and then something happens in their life where they say, ah, you know, I'm not going to be able to attend these events like I want to do attend them or my job or has they, changed. Maybe they're not a content. Yeah, yeah. maybe they're not a content. All kinds of things. Right. So they, they put it up yeah. for sale. And then somebody else, what it's going to start to do is start to say uh, somebody else who goes in and says, oh, there's these never ending tickets available. Maybe there's some on the secondary market that I could buy at a discount. Right. That I'm going to buy, you know, at a, you know, at less than what f- current face value is. Or, or as they go up, you know what I mean. It might even be more, right? It might be, it, it might even be a, uh, an increase in price. But either way, on the secondary market, the original creators getting paid for the work, right? For the for the thing, they're getting paid for that sale, which is a good thing when you start to think about intellectual property, like books and you know, and and other elements of of, of content. And I think, I think what you're seeing now is, you know, and, and this, you know, it speaks to the the story that we didn't have time to talk about, which is right now the NFT market seems to be like in the, you know, on the dark side of the moon, right? OpenSea is a ghost town. We'll put this link in the show notes so that you can see it. But basically the volume has plunged like 90% on NFT sales right now. So I think it's a good time for these platforms to start cleaning the plumbing as it were and making sure that the sanity prevails. And just to your point that, you know, creators can get paid, that the fees are reasonable, and that there's actually, you know, that there's actually a there there, right? That this isn't just some pyramid scheme. And I think uh, it, it, I think good things are going to happen on the other side of it because, because of what's going on right now. Yeah, you're probably right. By the way, you can always, like, if I wanted to take an NFT, I could transfer it to you and you could just, uh, you know, send me the ETH separately. 
and we could get around the whole thing. Like you can get around it if you want sure, to, but absolutely. I don't want a marketplace adding to that and making it. No, that but much there's also yeah, but there's also a you know there there I suspect at some point there will be a brand value for market activity, right? In other words, you know, yes, you can get around it by just doing a side, you know, a side deal like you could now, right? You know what I mean? The, you know, the Cowboys could offer their football tickets, you know, on the side and say, hey, listen, we're going to, you know, we're going to go around, you know, some of the ticket brokers here and just sell them, you know, we're going to, we're going to act like our own ticket broker and sell you a few seats on the secondary market. But the value in the ticket price is when you see that there's a high level of market activity. So going in and looking at your never ending tickets to see that, oh, 14 of these have been sold, you know, okay, there clearly there's value there, right? There's, you know, there's a marketplace for it. True. But the one thing I would say also about, I know we're running long here, but about the numbers and people say, oh, no, no, it's not, NFT sales aren't going well. There's some really amazing projects out there that don't change hands very often because people want to hold them. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, I necessarily, if because you say that, I mean, volume is down for many reasons. The price of ETH is down. Um, yes, we're not in the heyday, but it's still way up from where it was. But, you know, it there are a lot of really good projects out there that people say, I just don't want to sell these things. I'm going to keep them. I'm going to hold them, yep. especially during a, um, a recessionary period. Right. Well, that and that's that's a good point, too, which is what what is the right level of trading activity, right? I mean, and nobody knows the answer to that yet because it's all happened in in sort of artificial times, right? So Yeah, you could yeah, you could say, "Oh my god, this uh let's say Babe Ruth rookie card that nobody's interested in it because it hasn't been traded in 2 years." Right. Well, there's just not many many of them and people want to hold on That's to right. them. So does that mean it's not valuable? No, anyway. Exactly. So good what's good point. what's uh, what's your uh, what's your I have commentary? a very quick one here. Uh this comes by the way, I wanted a big shout out uh to uh <laughs> on Twitter, uh, Rachel SNR at Rachel SNR. Uh, Rachel spells their name R dash or space A space Y space C space H space. So I don't know if it's uh, 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 So thank you. So great, great link here. Basically, turn me on to this wonderful Edelman research. It's an Axios article that we'll link to, actually, uh, and it's about what's going on in the world of corporate communications, so so commonly known as comms. Uh, And the Axios article basically says, it references the Edelman research uh, and says that communicators you know, basically comms has become, is having a moment, right? Comms is now having its strategic moment, sort of reporting now to the C-suite. And uh, the Edelman study, as it points out, found that 43% of communication teams are now centralized under the CEO, a pivot away from reporting to marketing, human resources, or legal functions. Uh, What they're saying, basically, I'm talking to more CEOs every day who now recognize that one of the most critical skill sets they need is communicators, comms people. Uh, And basically, uh, you know, the article goes on. The interesting thing is, is that the article seems to make this reference to the pivot away from reporting to marketing, which, by the way, I've never really seen. I don't see I haven't. Comms is either reported to PR or comms is reported to brand or comms is reported somewhere else, not almost never marketing. I almost never see that. But they make the point that now it's because marketing has too many bright, shiny objects uh, and technology and basically, you know, hasn't done their job, which 
I quibble with the article quite a bit about, but but nevertheless, my it's a rave. What I want to rave about is the research, um, which is the Edelman research, which is linked to in the, from the article itself. So I really encourage that because the research is fantastic, and the research takeaways are basically that comms is having its moment. It's a more, you know, modern comms teams are really taking over things like content and digital uh, and really strategic communications for the organization. And I am seeing that in businesses. I'm seeing comms play a much more important role when it comes to content marketing, storytelling, putting together content strategy for the organization. Um, and I, I, you know, my, my, you know, content strategy hat on, I go here, here, let's raise a glass to that because it's fantastic news that comms becomes this strategic way of coordinating all of the brand's communications. And it's just a big deal. So, Go look at the research, and it's 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 you know as everything Edelman does on the research side, just first class work. So hats off to them for putting together yet another great research project. It's a little annoying actually how good they are at it, but um, other than that, I just wanted to rave about it. It's amazing how well they've made their name in in research. Oh, it's I mean, they, really, they've just done such just, an yeah, excellent they job. They just most do so good. They're, most of the reports are, are very very well done. They're very so. well done. Yeah. So, yeah. sir, what do you have going on here? I have, Bob, other than beating the heat, um, I'm oh, going to be yes. working on uh, a couple of things and getting ready for Content Marketing World. I mean, holy smokers, it's in two weeks. Um, I know, and it's I'm, crazy. I'm just I'm crazy busy getting ready for that and, and sort of getting all prepped. I have a, I have a, I have a new little costume that I'm going to be wearing for my opening Ooh. keynote, as I usually do. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I just got confirmation that it shipped. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. And, um, yeah, it should be, it's going to be a fun show. It's going to be a fun, 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 fun week. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I just, uh, just about putting the finishing touches on my, my keynote. So I'm, I'm doing, I have the Thursday morning keynote. I'll be there. And, I'll uh, be there to greet you. I know, I know you will. You were actually in my presentation. Uh, I have a slide just for you. Oh, so that's I'm so prepared. sweet. Yes. That's so sweet. Because I have to give, when I steal your stuff, I like to give you credit. Yeah, I know I don't always do it, but sometimes I do give you credit. That's very so, nice. I appreciate but, that. But um, it'll be, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of fun. Oh, it's going to be great. There's going to be so many, yeah, so many, uh, you know, it's going to be, it's going to feel like homecoming because I just know, because I know who's coming and I know the speakers that are coming. It's going to feel very very much like uh, a homecoming for so many, you know, folks that we haven't seen in years. So it's going to be great. Agreed. Agreed. All right, Ed, that is it. Um, yeah, we went a little long uh, this show, uh, but we just got all in. You know, AI did not create any part of this show, so just know that. But in the meantime, if you want to check out any of the other three hundred and thirty-eight episodes that AI didn't create, or you know, get on over to the show notes or anything else that the AI didn't create. Do that, won't you, at thisoldmarketing.site. Also remember to hashtag us up on the Twitter with hashtag thisoldmarketing. We love that. We love those story ideas. Thank you to R-A-H-O for the story idea. Um, And basically, uh, until we meet again, really, just remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.